I titled this one, Not Gonna Happen. I want to give you, because I'm a historian, and whenever I preach, I tell people, you know, if you're going to let a historian preach, you're going to get a history lecture. There's just, you can't get away from that. It's going to happen to you. So I've got some things here I wanted to tell you about the context and time frame for the book of Habakkuk, because I'm sure that most of us have not spent a lot of time looking at the book of Habakkuk, although it, it has been and remains one of the favorites of many Old Testament uh, scholars. For the Dead Sea Scrolls folks, the people that lived at Qumran, they were uh, overwhelmed by the book of Habakkuk. There are actually 50 copies, 50 texts of the book of Habakkuk that were found at uh, Qumran because they thought that the Romans were the ones they were talking about in the passages in Habakkuk, and they were waiting for the Romans to be overthrown. Let me give you some background. Um, we, we know nothing about Habakkuk himself except his name. There's just no biographical information here at all. Now, there are stories and other things about him that, uh, that, that people have talked about, who this person could be. Uh, even his me the meaning of his name has been contested. For instance, one commentator uh, playing off the Hebrew word Habakkuk said that this means dwarf, that, that Habakkuk was probably, what is that, vertically challenged. Uh, and, and so the word dwarf comes up. Another says, no, no, indeed, this is a name of a plant. It's a plant name, a Habakkuk. Okay, and that's, that's what this is referring to. I think most scholars today say it's something to do with uh, embrace or it's one who embraces. And I think that's where we've kind of settled with the name for Habakkuk today. These minor prophets were widely circulated uh, in the early church. There's been very little fight about the authorship of Habakkuk. Uh, much more about Isaiah and some of the major prophets, but the minor prophets, there was little fighting. And so the church has pretty much said, yeah, Habakkuk's the author, and you know, he may have been a dwarf. We really don't know. S some say he was a priest, um, and, and that perhaps that was his function. Uh, we don't know for sure, though. Uh, the historical backgrounds and dates about the writing here, <clears throat> 626, the Assyrians... Uh, were a waning power. Now, you, you've, some of you have studied history. I wish more of you had studied history. The Assyrians were a cruel people in the ancient world. I mean, they were just, when you heard the Assyrians were coming, there was only one solution. My drill sergeant used to call it this, the mad dash. Uh, because the Assyrians were just, they were just terror when, when they came. Well, about 626 or so, the Assyrians were falling from power. Uh, a man in the Neo-Babylonian Empire called Nabopolassar. Makes you want to name your kid Nabopolassar, doesn't it? Come here, Nabi. No. Uh, Nabopolassar came to power about 626 or so, somewhere in that neighborhood. And uh, he was a Neo-Babylonian. The southern kingdom of Judah was in the process of falling. Now, the northern kingdom was already gone. 722, the northern kingdom had fallen to that same Assyrian empire. Uh, by the time Nabopolassar comes to power, it's the Babylonians now that are going to take out the southern kingdom of Judah. Nabopolassar has a son that you know, and he's famous in veggie tales, so I know you know who he is. Who is that? Nebuchadnezzar, right? Nebuchadnezzar is the guy that was uh, the son of Nabopolassar. So Nabopolassar comes to power in 626. Nineveh fell, the city of Nineveh, which was the capital city of, 
uh, of the, uh, the Assyrian Empire fell in 612 BC. And I'm just trying to give you some background here. In 609 BC, uh, the king of Judah named Josiah died in a battle with the Egyptians. Um, the Egyptians were going to help out the Assyrians who were in trouble, as I've told you. There was a, a, a battle north in the northern part of Israel, and uh, uh, Josiah, the king of Judah, was killed in that battle about 609 B.C. or so. Josiah was a great revival king. And when Josiah was king, they really cleaned up the act in Judah. And they had experienced a revival and prosperity, the likes of which they had not known for a whole long time. So there's a period of prosperity under Josiah, and it's the last one that Judah will, will actually have before they go under. Uh, but on the plain of Megiddo, and that's where we have the battle of Armageddon at the end of time. On the battle of plain of Megiddo, uh, Pharaoh Necho and his forces engaged the forces of Judah, and Josiah was killed in battle. That brought his son to the throne. His son's name was jo Jehoiakim, and that, that man was not a godly man at all. Uh, and as a matter of fact, for the 10 years that he reigned, he undid everything his father had, had done. Then his son, after him, came to the throne, also a wicked king. Um, so little by little, this area that Habakkuk is living in is going to come under the control of the Babylonians during this period of time. The world is coming apart in Habakkuk's day. So he's looking out at the world, he's looking out at Judah, and he sees chaos. He sees the Babylonians coming, and he sees a Babylonian rule in the future. So the book is probably written somewhere around 598 B.C. That's probably the date for the book itself, after Josiah's death. And so Habakkuk has been living in this, this new kingdom under Jehoiakim. And that's not been a good kingdom for the people of Judah. So... What's all that mean? It's a good time for despair. Okay? It's a good time for despair. Um, 608, the Assyrians had gone. 598, a probable date of the writing. So there's all the dates you're going to get from me today. There's my obligatory history lecture today. Okay? So there's some context for you. Um, let me tell you some things about the book itself, because I think that's also an important thing to look at. It's basically a dialogue between Habakkuk and God. There are basically two complaints here. Now, there's some other section. There are the woes. There's a psalm at the end, which is much like the book of Psalms, the same kind of thing. Uh, but this is basically a dialogue. Two complaints and two answers is what we're going to see in the book of Habakkuk. The theme is moving from doubt to faith, moving from doubt to faith, okay? So what have we got here? Well, first we've got Habakkuk's initial complaint. Now, the, the commentators often call this a lament. I think it's, it's Habakkuk complaining to God, okay? and we'll see that in, verse, in chapter 1, verses 1 to 4, and we'll be looking at that in just a minute. Secondly, we're going to have God's first response, and that's in chapter 1, verses 5 through 11. So he does, he gets a, 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 a happy greeting from God who answers his lament 
Okay, so that's uh, the next piece. Then we get a second complaint from Habakkuk, which runs from 112 to chapter 2 and verse 1. And then guess what? We get God's second response, which is in chapter 2, verses 2 to 20. So that's kind of what we're looking at here. Um, let me give you a little bit of context here as we start into this thing and tell you what's going on as Habakkuk begins to write. And yes, we are going to get to the text here in just a second. Habakkuk opens by asking God how long he's going to tolerate the evils of Judah in his day. Okay, so he's looking out at the world around him. Habakkuk is looking out. He's watching Fox News. And just to be fair, he's looking at MSNBC just a bit to, so he can balance that out. Okay? So he says, how long are you going to put up with this evil in the kingdom of Judah? You need to punish these people. They're wicked people. When are you going to do something about all this violence in the streets? And when are you going to deal with these problems? Habakkuk doesn't expect the answer that he's going to get from God. Okay? So he figures God is going to say, well, take, I'm going to take care of it. It's going to be okay. Because God basically says, I'm going to allow the Babylonians to come and blow away the kingdom of Judah. What? <laughs> that's, not what that's not what Habakkuk was expecting God to say to him. Uh, he's astounded. Why is he astounded? Well, because the Babylonians are so much more wicked than the people of Judah. Those are really wicked people. You know, they took the kingdom away from those fish slappers, those Assyrians. See, some of you are listening. Uh, they're wicked people. How can you use wicked people to judge your own people? That's a problem for Habakkuk. So God agrees with Habakkuk, uh, and he gives five woes then to, to, uh, to Habakkuk that's going to happen to the, to the Babylonian people because of, of what they're doing. <clears throat> so at this point, Habakkuk really has about two options in, in, in the context. He can become arrogant. He can question God about God's justice and why God is doing things the way that he's doing things. Or he can choose to live by faith. He can choose to believe God and that God is in control. Now, that's, that's basically the context for what we're going to look at. Okay, so I want to now drop in and look at the text itself and see how that plays out. So let's take a look at the text here. Habakkuk 1, 1 through 4 and that's that first lament, you know, God, what about evil? What about, I, I, I look and I, I see these things, I see Oregon in the news, and I see Michigan in the news, and there are people in the streets, and they're rioting, and no, that's not what he was looking at, but he says, I look out there, and I see uh, violence around me all over the place. Look at this, the oracle which Habakkuk the prophet saw, that's 1-1, how long, this is Habakkuk addressing God now, how long, O oh Lord, will I call for help and you are not listening to me and you will not hear? I cry out to you, violence, yet you do not save. Why do you make me see iniquity and cause me to look on wickedness? Yes, destruction and violence are before me. Strife exists and contention arises. Therefore, the law is ignored and justice is never upheld for the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore, justice comes out perverted. Okay, now that's the first complaint that he brings. Um, the word here is uh, the, the oracle of, of, of Habakkuk. The King James actually used the right word, I think. It's the burden of Habakkuk. 
This is the load that Habakkuk carries. That's Massah. That's what we're dealing with. Where are you, Dr. Ingalls? You hear me using that Massah? There it is. <clears throat> this is Massah, so lifting a burden or carrying a burden. Nehemiah uses this term about his revelation. Malachi uses this term about his revelation. It's the burden that God has given. It's the load that God has given. Habakkuk says, how long shall I cry out for help? Now, there's an interesting thing here in the tense of the verb. The tense of the verb suggests that Habakkuk has been praying for a long time and God has not given any remediation here. So he's in essence saying, man, I keep praying and praying and praying and you're not doing anything about this. How long are you going to let this go on? How long are you going to put up with this? The phrase suggests Habakkuk's impatience and his perplexity. And then we get a series of four terms. Habakkuk says there's violence, there's plundering, there's strife, there's contention. Uh, he's reading CNN uh, off the teleprompter there. That's exactly what he's reading. That's the kind of thing we're seeing every day. We're seeing violence in the streets. We're seeing plundering of businesses. We're seeing strife. That is, people at one another, factions forming. Those are the things that he sees as he looks around him. Then he says to God, why do you make me see iniquity? I turn on my television set, and what do I see? I see iniquity. I see unrighteousness all around me. Why do I have to look at all these things? He says, the end of this, if we get to the end of verse 3 there, strife exists and contention arises. Ah, that's not a description of the world we live in, is it? No strife in this country today. Unity, 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 right? Strife is an interesting word here. It's ruv in the Hebrew. What does it mean? It's an ongoing division between the members of a society. Wow. I think that's what I saw in Fox when I turned it on last night. What does it mean? It means the society is polarized. And I can tell you as a historian of the United States, I don't think there's ever been a time in the history of this country when we've been more polarized as a people unless it was the time immediately before the American Civil War when everything broke down to, to one issue and there were two sides to every question. They always went to the same place. That's what we get today. 47% go one way, 47% go the other way, and 6% are in the middle and they can't make up their minds. Okay? I thought about working on this one today when I was talking. No, okay. You're going to have to pay attention, folks. <clears throat> but it suggests that he's impatient. He, he says, why are you going to make me look on this, this strife? The result of all this is what? Contention arises. There's only more strife. So all these things are just leading to more and more strife. What's the result of that? Look at, look at the result that Habakkuk says here. He says in verse 4, The law is ignored, and justice is never upheld. For the wicked surround the righteous, and justice comes out twisted, perverted, bent. Okay? That's the result of this whole thing. Now, he says here first that the law is ignored. Uh, the, other translations say the law is powerless. This is not an implication that there's something wrong with the law. That's not what Habakkuk is saying here. The Hebrew word is pug. 
It means it's ineffective. And I can tell you exactly what it means uh, by analogy. It means for, for you to be numbed by something. Now, I'm a cross-country skier, okay? and I get out there on Prospect Mountain some Saturday mornings, and my hands get so cold I can't feel anything anymore. That's what Habakkuk is saying. He's saying there is so much strife, there is so much contention, so much plundering, that, I, that the people have become numb to justice. And justice is coming out perverted. Now, I don't know where you stand on all these issues, and that's not my problem today in bringing this word to you. But a lot of people think that justice is not being served in this country anymore. Right? That, that this is really an unjust system that we're dealing with. And that's a different sermon. But that's exactly what Habakkuk is accusing God of in this passage. Because there's so much violence, so much strife, the law just doesn't even work anymore. And people are numb to that. The corruption had numbed the effect of the law and the effect that it has on the citizens. And so a call results, perverse judgment results. Things are perverted. The society in which the, the, the wicked seem to always have the upper hand is giving rise to this. Do you see what he says there? Um, the wicked surround the righteous and justice comes out perverted. Don't you find yourself asking that all the time? How are we going to survive in the midst of this if we choose to obey your law, God? How long can I live a life of righteousness dedicated to you when all around me everything is strife and contention and a numbness towards the law? What are you going to do about this, God? That's exactly what Habakkuk is saying. You need to take care of these people. They're breaking the law. They're contentious. Well, God has an answer for this. Okay? Surprise. If I was Habakkuk, I would be a little surprised if God answered my question when I threw that one up at him. But look what God says in 5 and 6. Look among the nations. Observe. Be astonished. Wonder. Because I'm doing something in your days you wouldn't believe if you were told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, that fierce and impetuous people who march throughout the earth to seize dwelling places which are not theirs. So what is, it, what is the answer that God brings? He says, I'm doing something in your day, Habakkuk, that if I clued you into the thing, you wouldn't even believe that it was going to happen. Folks, November the 4th may bring a situation to us exactly like Habakkuk is getting explained to him here by God. I have no idea what's going to happen. Now, it may take longer than November the 4th, but you get the point, right? The election, a lot of people are saying, well, if we can just get through this election, everything's going to resolve. Well, maybe not. Okay? Maybe not. Uh, and, and Habakkuk says, if you just step in and judge Judah, then everything would be okay. And God says, I'm doing something in your day, Habakkuk, that you wouldn't believe if I clued you into it. Look around you at what's happening. Look around you at the changes that are coming. In verse 5, the imperatives here are all plural. So who's he talking to? He's talking to everybody. Habakkuk is bringing a message from God for everybody. This isn't for the king. This is for everybody. And it's an answer to Habakkuk, but it's, it's an answer for everybody. William's version here is, God says, I'm doing something in your days that's going to blow your mind. 
It's going to blow your mind. Well, what's that, Lord? What would you ask? Well, what is that, Lord? What does he say? I'm raising up the Chaldeans to judge Judah, that wicked and impetuous people. I'm going to bring them down here to judge you. Whoa, that's not quite what I bargained for. <laughs> I mean, I want you to deal with the situation, but that's not quite what I bargained for here. Uh, under Nebuchadnezzar, the son of Nabopolassar. I, I still think we should have. Maybe we can get a grandkid named Nabopolassar. I, you know, I wanted to name my son Moses, and my wife was Moses. No, but I got a grandchild named Moses. How about that? Maybe Nebopolassar. No, I don't know. <clears throat> Nebuchadnezzar is the king that's going to invade Judah. Guess what? That's 26 years from the time of this revelation at least 26 years away. Now, this is not going to happen overnight. God is raising up Nebuchadnezzar, who's not even there yet in place. All right, so that's the first lament, and that's the first answer. Judge Judah, because it's wicked, and the people are numb, and God says, I'm raising up the Chaldeans. And, and, and Habakkuk sits down in his chair and puts his hand on his head. And he says, but why, God? Why would you do this? This is the second lament. Okay? Let's take a look at that. Verse 12, skip on down, because he's just telling, he's telling uh, uh, Habakkuk how bad those Babylonians are, which Habakkuk already knows. <clears throat> are you not, this is Habakkuk, are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? We will not die. Now, that's not very reassuring. <laughs> <laughs> That's not very reassuring, okay? You're sovereign God, says Habakkuk, and you do whatever you want to do. If you want to bring the Chaldeans to, to judge us, that's okay, I guess. You're God. You can do whatever you want to do. And I know we're not all going to die. Yeah, I, take, I can take comfort in that. We're not all going to die. Because all the northern kingdom didn't die when the Assyrians came and knocked them off. So he said, I, you know, we're not all going to die. You, O Lord, have appointed them. Who's them? Those Chaldeans to judge. And you, O Rock, have established them to correct. But, 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 your eyes are too pure to approve evil. And you cannot look on wickedness with favor. Why do you look with favor on those nasty Chaldeans that deal treacherously? Why are you silent when the wicked swallow up those that are more righteous than they? Now notice how this, this argument is going here. Why don't you judge the people of Judah? Because they're wicked and they need to be judged. Well, I am going to judge them, Habakkuk, and I'm going to do it with the Chaldeans. Woo! Wait a minute. That's not quite what I had in mind. Okay, I was thinking for a little bit of chastisement, but not to bring the Chaldeans down here to deal with us. Why would you even do such a thing, God? Those are wicked people. Why would you even countenance such a thing? Um, so he, he says, you're sovereign God. I'll go along with your will. Uh, and I, I really believe that the Chaldeans are going to come to judge us, to correct things because they need correcting. But I still got two really troubling points here that I need to bring up, Lord. There's a couple of little things we need to talk about. How can you stand by and allow a wicked, treacherous nation to become dominant? Hey, that's the next complaint. How can you stand by and let a wicked, treacherous nation become dominant? 
How can you allow a man to be president of the United States that, that, that couldn't be the pastor of my church? How can you do that, God? I hear Christians say that today. I just can't vote for that man because he's not a good man. He's, I can't vote for him. Isn't that exactly what Habakkuk is saying here? We need to be judged. We need something to happen. But God, you can't use an unjust instrument to correct your people. That just can't happen. It ain't going to happen here, says Habakkuk. So that's just not going to happen. How can you remain silent when the thoroughly wicked swallow up the less wicked? How can you do that? So he says, now this is kind of good. I, I like this. Let's skip down to chapter 2 here for a second. Habakkuk says, okay, there's my problem. Now I'm going to go in my little upper room. Habakkuk evidently had some kind of little retreat that he would go to. Whenever he asked God something and God was going to answer, Habakkuk went into his little retreat, his little tower, to wait for an answer from God. Look, he even says that. I will stand on my guard post and station myself on the rampart, and I will keep watch to see what you're going to say to me, Lord, and how I may reply when I'm reproved. So he said, there's my problem, and now how are you going to answer that problem? Okay? Because I've got these two questions that remain. Habakkuk 2, 2 through 4, and this is really the heart of the book. Verse 4 is really the key verse in the whole text of Habakkuk. Look what God says. The second answer that God brings to Habakkuk here is, trust me. Then the Lord answered me and said, record the vision, inscribe it on tablets, that the one who reads it may run. Now that's kind of, that's a little strange, isn't it? Do you know what this means actually? Write it in such big letters that if somebody were running by, they could read it while they're going by. Write it in big letters. Inscribe it so anybody can read it. Okay? I'm, I'm going to do something God said that's going to blow your mind. And you write it down on a document so that if a runner was going by, they could, they could read it while they ran by. For the vision is yet for the appointed time. It hastens toward the goal and it will not fail. Though it tarries, wait for it. For it will certainly come. It will not delay. Behold, as for the proud one, that would be the Chaldeans, his soul is not right within him, but the righteous will live by his faith. And of course, you recognize that passage. Paul is, that's going to be almost the core of Paul's theology that we're talking about here. How important is this answer? Well, Paul thought it was pretty important. Trust me. Habakkuk's second complaint gets an even harder answer than the first complaint. First complaint? Deal with Judah. Well, I'm going to deal with Judah, says God. Okay? Well, the second complaint is, how can you let this go? How can you do this? How can you bring the Chaldeans? And God says, you're just going to have to trust me on this one. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to do this in my own time and in my own way, but I am surely going to do it. I am going to bring it to pass. And folks, as Christians, that's one of the things that we have in our pocket that really makes us different from a lot of the other people around us. I know God is in control. I know God is inexorably moving everything in the direction He wants to move it. And this is pleasing to God, and it's the best way that things could work out. I trust that. That's exactly the word that's brought to Habakkuk. 
I am going to take care of this. I'm going to judge them, he says, but I'm going to do it in my own time and in my own way. He said, mark it. It's going to come. I'm going to judge the Chaldeans, and I'm going to judge the kingdom of Judah. Now, at this point, there are two possible responses. Uh, Habakkuk can get puffed up about this whole thing. He can get puffed up, and he can say, uh, I refuse to believe in a God who works in such a manner. Have you ever heard anybody say that to you? Man, I don't know how many people I've witnessed to that I've heard that. Well, if God is God, how can he allow wickedness in the world? And I just can't worship a God like that. Habakkuk's saying much the same kind of thing. If you're going to bring the Chaldeans down here to judge us, that's your business, you're God. But I don't think it's right. I don't think it's right. And God says what? Trust me. Trust absolutely and live by faith. That's the second thing. So you've got two responses here that you can you can come up with, uh, Habakkuk. Now they tell me, uh, I'm not a preacher or a son of a preacher. Mark Ballard tells me that's not true. I don't know if that's true or not. You have to judge. But um, they tell me that you need practical application for your sermon. Okay? Now you've read the passage. And what does that mean to us? What's the practical application for us today as we sit and listen to this? Because if you believe God's speaking to you, and I do believe God gave us this inspired word, I believe in the Holy Spirit moved on my heart to tell you about this word. And so this is a message for you today. So like Habakkuk, you have to make a decision what you're going to do with the message also. In seven days, we're going to vote for a president. I had elect and I scratched it out. Because in seven days, we may not elect a president. We're going to vote for a president in seven days. 60 million people have already voted for a president. That's another whole issue. Eh? But in seven days, we're going to vote for a president. We wonder, how can God allow such conditions to continue in this country? We've been praying that God would bring a revival, that God would, would wipe out the wickedness that was in our culture, that he would turn things around, that he would stop the, the senseless destruction of innocent children in the womb, that he would stop the, the, the bifurcation, the strife, the violence and contention in our culture. When are you going to do that, Lord? And God said to Habakkuk, I'm surely going to judge it. I'm surely going to bring it to pass. Wait for it. It's going to blow your mind when it comes. And that's what I'm telling you today, folks. I don't know what's going to happen after the 3rd of November. God hasn't given me any insight. If you know, stand up and tell us. Well, that's what I thought. All right. I don't know what's going to happen, but I do know this. We've got to prepare ourselves for the eventualities that are coming. That's the word from God today. There's a very good possibility that no matter who is elected president of the United States, this country is going to descend into chaos. That's a very real possibility today. I can tell you as a historian, the earmarks, the signs are there. When you look at other cultures in decay, we have all of those signs in our culture. Now, it could turn around, but it ain't looking promising at this point. Okay? So what's going to happen? I don't know. We wonder how God's going to deal with this, but judgment is going to come. And God tells us today what? That we must live by faith in Him. Now, Luther took that phrase. Do you know what he did with it? In his translation into the German, do you know what he added to that phrase from Habakkuk? Anybody know? 
the just shall live by faith alone. He added the word align in German because that's the thrust. We're not to live by sight. We're not to live by feel. We're not to live by sensation. We're not to live by how much money we have in our wallet or our bank account. We're to live by faith alone, said Martin Luther. And I'm telling you, that's the message for today. You cannot put your faith in the government. You cannot put your faith in a man who says he has all the solutions to all the problems. You must put your faith in God so that regardless what happens after November the 3rd, you can be where God wants you to be doing what God wants you to do in God's own way. That's the message for today. And I hope that's being preached from every pulpit in America. Because you see, Christians go through bad things just like everybody else does. I know I take you back all the time to National Socialism and Corrie ten Boone in Nazi Germany in the 1930s, but boy, that rings so true today. You know, what happened? Here's a 54-year-old woman who's teaching Sunday school classes to a bunch of kids that are challenged. Uh, she's lived her whole life in peace and security, and suddenly the world explodes around her. She and her sister and her father and her brother are thrown into a concentration camp. Her father almost immediately dies. Her brother dies later, and her sister dies in the concentration camp. And you know what came out of that experience? Do you know what Corey Tim Boone said? It's, she says it's from Betsy. I don't know. Her sister. I don't know if that's true or not. What it came out of that? There is no pit so deep that God is not deeper still. That is the word for today. So whatever happens in the coming days, get your eyes off of the situation around you. Get your eyes off of the government in power. Get your eyes off of who's been appointed to the Supreme Court, and now we're going to fix all the problems. I don't know that that's going to happen. I pray God it. it's true that it's going to happen, but I don't know that. But the just shall live by faith alone. What will you live by? Let's pray. Father, we thank you today that we have your revealed word. We thank you today that we can look into this word and see how you dealt with the people of Judah in the 6th century B.C. And that that can become an illustration for us about how we should live our lives and what you're doing in the world around us. In seven days, we are going to vote for a president of the United States. And we're fearful. And we don't know what's going to happen. And we hope for the best. But Father, we know as you told your servant Habakkuk, if we'll trust in you, if we'll put our eyes on you, if we'll stand upon the rock that is Jesus Christ, we will have hope. We will have stability. We will have peace. And better than that, we can bring the word of healing. We can bring the word of salvation. We can bring the word of restitution to all those that are around us who will be in need. Do that, Father, so that you're glorified. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.